Evening ladies and gentlemen, this is the first in a series of podcasts about the poem War Photographer by Caroline Duffy. The track you've just listened to is an extract from U2's song Sunday Bloody Sunday, which is about the start of the conflict in Belfast, which is one of the poems, also one of the places that Caroline Duffy references in her poem. If you want to find out more about the history of the troubles in Northern Ireland, the BBC website is probably a good place to start. In this podcast, we'll be looking at various different elements of the poem that you've asked questions about. Number one, the rhyme scheme. Number two, the use of caesura in the poem. Number three, the language used in the poem. And finally, how, how can you link this poem in the anthology to other poems in the collection? But before we start all of that, I'm actually going to look at the second line. Okay, so the poem starts with this magnificent line and this magnificent image. First line, the image is dark and is finally known, but it's the second line that I want to look at. With spools of suffering set out in ordered rows. It's a brilliant image in my opinion. You need to imagine for a moment a world 30, 40 years ago, pre-digital cameras, pre-cameras on mobile phones. And once upon a time, ladies and gentlemen, believe it or not, we did have cameras and we even had cameras with colour. Um, but we bought film. We bought film from places like Boots and or, on, or from other kind of ca- specialist camera shops or supermarkets. And they'd come in little cardboard boxes, which were probably about the size of your thumb. And inside the p- cardboard box, there'd be a little plastic pot normally black cylinder with a grey lid and inside that okay there would be a spool of film so it was like a tight it's a cylinder and a canister and you would pull out the film a little bit and feed it into the back of your camera and then there'd be some cogs that would kind of take up the slack and then you'd wind it forward and, and then you'd be ready to take photographs uh, but but the important thing for the poem here is this spools of suffering. So that's what he's talking about there. This, this is a man in his dark room who has laid out all his rows of uh, film in, in a very organised, methodical manner. Now, why does she draw our attention to that? Spools of suffering set out in ordered rows. Clearly, um, the analysis you looked at Mr Brough last week particularly looked at the second half of the line um, in ordered rows and for those of you that have been lucky to go to any of the battlefields cemetery sites in France or in Belgium you will know that the in particular the the English the British sorry the British and Commonwealth cemeteries there are places of real tranquility and beauty with these beautiful white headstones, perfectly spaced out, lines of symmetry throughout, with a, a flowers in front of them and messages inscribed, inscribed into the gravestones. And it's incredible because actually you look at these places and history has turned them into something beauty. Time has turned them into something tranquil and beautiful. But of course, the place on which these battlefields, uh, these cemeteries 
now appear were of course chaotic violent battlefields so over time beauty has replaced the ugliness and the destruction and over time order has been created out of disorder so there's an interesting parallel there between sort of the poem and and sort of you know battleground cemeteries but i think more importantly than that is this idea about the war photographer them himself carolyn duffy has created a a fictional person so even though i got you to watch the documentary don mccullen whilst this poem is about him to a certain degree it's it's also a, a, a work of art it's a it's a piece of fiction and she's i think she's created a a fictional character who has clearly witnessed and seen some horrendous some of the most horrific things that human beings can do to each other now if you've witnessed those things firsthand there is no way but that you can be affected by them and affected very deeply i i find it hard to imagine that that mccullen and other war photographers and war cameramen like him are not suffering from ptsd you cannot witness that much trauma and that much violence without you know really uh, undergoing some pretty horrendous experiences of your own and i think this is the war photographer's way of controlling that chaos that violence that trauma that's just below the surface he organizes everything into a methodical controlled organized way in order to kind of control the madness to control the destruction that's only just under the surface and at any moment he could crack open and the madness and the and the stress and the trauma would be revealed that's my interpretation anyway but the reason i state that is because i think that links in nicely to what how duffy's created the rhyme scheme which leads us neatly on to the rhyme scheme so there is a rhyme scheme it's not written in blank verse there is a fixed regular rhyme scheme in this poem and it's set around the idea of rhyming couplets so in the second and the third line of the poem rose and glows and then in the first verse mass and grass we'll talk about that rhyming in just a moment that pattern repeats itself throughout the poem then and again feet and heat eyes and cries must and dust six and prick wear and care but the rhyme scheme is not constant so whilst there is a pattern and there clearly is a pattern in each of those four verses lines one and four don't rhyme so the rhyme scheme is not complete the rhyme scheme is fractured, broken, and incomplete. Now, if you accept my interpretation of the persona of the war photographer, then you could argue that the persona of the war photographer is fractured, broken, 
and incomplete. I think my argument strengthens when you look again at some of those rhymes. So some of those rhymes are full rhymes. Rose and glows, um, eyes and cries, must and dust, and wear and care. They're what we call full rhymes. But some of the other rhymes in the poem are forced, slightly broken, slightly fractured. You have to change your accent in order to make mass and grass rhyme, which for lots of people in this country they would. But then and again, that's a half rhyme. That's not the same vowel sound. Um, six and prick is definitely not the same vowel sound. So these are known as half rhymes or power rhymes. And again, these rhymes are therefore uh, fractured, broken and incomplete. So I think there is an argument to say that Caroline Duffy has tried, attempted to use a rhyme scheme that conveys the persona or mirrors or echoes the persona of the war photographer. I think it also goes back to this idea that I talked about in the previous episode. I believe that the war photographer is hiding the trauma, concealing it, trying to put up a brave face and a stiff upper lip, but at any moment there's a crack in the persona that will reveal the trauma that he's going through. And I think that idea, okay, is conveyed through the incomplete rhyme scheme. If the rhyme scheme was complete all the way through, you would think that this is a man who is totally in control of his emotions, who's in totally in control of processing and dealing with the images and the violence that he has seen. But I don't think he is totally in control. I think he's only ever a crack away from disaster. Okay, so now let's look at the caesuras in the poem. Well, first of all, the poem doesn't seem to start with any caesuras at all. The first couple of lines are just one sentence. There's no fracture, no breaking of the lines anyway midway through. And the second sentence is throughout the, the third, fourth and fifth line. It's not until we get to line six that the first caesuras arrive. And they arrive with the place names Belfast, Beirut, Phnom Penh. It's no accident that Carol Ann Duffy picks places that are plosive as if to convey the anger, the violence and the horror. Growing up in the mid-80s, these places were constantly referred to in the news. The horrors of Belfast, the killings and the bombings, the religious war that took place in Beirut, and then the, the, the killing fields of Cambodia with Phnom Penh. She could have picked other places from that time, though. 
you know, you could have had the Iran-Iraq war that was going on at that particular time. You could have had the conflicts going in Angola or the conflicts going on down in, in southern Africa. So she's deliberately picked these places uh, um, because of their plosive sounds. Duffy doesn't list these places. She doesn't set them out as a list separated by commas or semicolons or anything like that. They are separated by plose. They are separated by full stops and a caesura. There's a break. There's a fracture in the in, in the rhythm of the line. That fracture, that break, probably echoes a moment when the persona of the war photographer fractures, breaks, when he begins to recall the horrors and the traumas of the places that he's seen. Once the Sazura start, it almost seems impossible for them to stop. So, in the next verse, we have a Sazura after the idea he has a job to do. That, for me, also identifies a different emotion, a different turning point in the poem. There's a sense here that he's looked at these things, he's looked at these um, film canisters, he's seen the label on these film canisters, he remembered the places. He's reminded of his own mortality, all flesh is grass. Some kind of traumatic episode is beginning to be replayed in his mind and then all of a sudden he seems to pull himself together. He has a job to do. Cezura, full stop, pull yourself together, man, get on with it. Except, of course, the crack, the fracture, is never far away. And then, in the third line, we change places again. Rural England, again, separated out with a Cezura, either side of that phrase. Almost as if, how can you possibly contemplate a beautiful rural England, a peaceful idyll, a green valley perhaps with a river running through it and lambs and sheep gambling in the fields outside of the window. How can you possibly have that place in the world being connected to Belfast, Beirut, Phnom Penh? No. They've got to be separated by the Sisuras. There's got to be a break between the horror and the haven. In the third verse, Sisuras still continue. And for slightly different reasons in the third verse. So it creates a real sense of drama, suspense with the first line. Something is happening. And then that horror and suspense begins to build until line 15 and then we get another Suzura, a half-formed ghost now I'll talk about that line a bit more uh, when we look at the language but there's a sense that there's a memory here a nightmare being replayed in Penny's mind and he's brought short he's now lost in that moment he's now stuck in that moment he's stuck in that recollection very much like the narrative voice in the poem remains. So, if you are going to talk about caesuras, and you should talk about Caroline Duffy's use of caesuras, okay, I think to a certain degree they're reinforcing that constant interpretation that I keep 
talking about in that the point of a caesura is to create a break a fracture and i think the whole poem is around how close we all are to being broken or fractured okay penultimate chapter i might have to split this chapter into two depends how much i get carried away talking about this particular poem duffy clearly uses sibilance um, throughout the poem we've got it in the second line which we've already we've already looked at but we also have it in the first line of the second verse and again in the first line of the third verse We've talked about sibilance and why a poet or a writer might want to use sibilance on numerous occasions. Number one, uh, the most dominant ideology around that is to suggest some kind of evil, to suggest, suggest some kind of threat or danger. Evil is never far away in this poem. Um, there was evil in Belfast. There was evil in Beirut. There was evil in Phnom Penh. The worst kind of evil. So that's undoubtedly a theme running throughout the poem. The evil is never too far away. The other theme running throughout the poem is, is just how desensitized we have become to these images of evil. So it's interesting that we have the sibilant sound in the second verse of solutions slopping in trays. But the reader in the last, the newspaper reader in the last verse will also be slopping in solutions in, uh, you know, in their bath and, and their beers. And, and, and those things soothe us and, and they numb us and they desensitize decentivize us so it's it's interesting that um, you could look at both interpretations of sibilance in this poem and find an argument to say that's why Duffy's using them to go back to my argument about post-traumatic stress disorder and, and, and that I feel that, that Duffy has created a persona that of the war photographer that is fractured and broken I, I think that idea is echoed in the language she uses to describe the events. So, first of all, we've got the hands that tremble now. Okay, now we've all seen clips of World War One soldiers in those hospitals suffering from shell shock and physical shaking, trembling, you know, was a pretty um, regular, you know, symptom of somebody who suffered from shell shock he's also haunted the war photographer is haunted notice how he describes the um the way that the the negative is transferring onto the photograph he describes that process as being like a half-formed ghost ghosts haunt you often with some kind of, particularly in literature, often with some kind of um, message or power over the, the protagonists. Uh, for those of you who 
some kind of understanding of Hamlet and Hamlet's father. That there's there's that going on there. Now, likewise, the narrative voice in Remains is haunted by a bloodstained shadow. He's haunted by a ghost of somebody who's dug in deep behind enemy lines. So there's that. But then there's also the penultimate line in which, so the war photographer is now moving on to his next job, going off to his next war zone, his next crime against humanity. And as he looks out the window, Duffy says that he stares impassively. Now, impassively means without feeling. Now, if you look back to exposure, the, in exposure, Wilfred Owen talks about the, um, the, the soldiers being numb, half-glosed. Um, and also in the documentary, what talked about Wilfred Owen, Wilfred Owen said, you know, you, you just become numb to it. You just become numb to the idea that you're going to survive, you're going to die, you just become numb to it. Oh, that's the only way to cope. And if you think about remains, well, drink and drugs are there to desensitize the narrative voice to make him numb. So he doesn't feel uh, the trauma anymore. So I think there's enough evidence within this poem to argue that Duffy has created a persona that is broken, that is fractured and suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. And she's done it through um, by, by language devices, but she's also done it through the form and the rhythm of the poems. Other things I, I, I wanted to talk about very briefly. Um, the religious themes throughout this poem. So obviously we talked, I talked about in a previous episode about the ordered rows, a bit, bit like the graveyards uh, for the cemeteries. So there's a bit of religious echo there. But, you know, far more obvious than that. You know, we've obviously got the, the dark room becoming a church, the priest preparing to intone a mass. Now, what's interesting about that is that if we're talking about a, a church and a red light and a mass, we're talking about a Catholic church here. And if we're talking about a Catholic church, one of the acts of, of Catholicism is confession. So is this dark room some kind of confession for the war photographer to absolve himself of his sins? That whole idea that Don McCullen talked about being an observer, not a participant. And some of you picked up on that in your notes. But obviously he crossed the line that one time when he picked up the old woman and, and rescued her to safety. But, but just think about that for a moment. You are a participant. You are an observer. At no point have you made any effort to save any human life or to, or to try to stop it or try to rescue anybody and that kind of thing. This war photographer, this sense of guilt is clearly playing upon him by describing his dark room as a church and he a priest. And it's interesting that two of the conflicts that she, she talks about in the poem, um, Beirut and, and Belfast, well, Beirut was definitely a, a religious conflict. It was between the, 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 the Christian and the Muslim populations of, um, of, a, of Lebanon. 
And whilst it might not have started necessarily off as a, a religious sectarian conflict, it soon be, soon the tribal lines soon sort of defaulted to that. Belfast was <laughs> Belfast is a little bit more complex in that it's not quite as straightforward, perhaps, in that you have um, nationalism versus uh, unionism, so wanting to be part of a separate island or wanting to be part of the United Kingdom, but. But for the vast majority of Northern Irish people, that has pretty much um, kind of defaulted down religious lines. So if you were a Catholic, you were more likely to be a nationalist and therefore a Republican. If you were a Protestant, you were more likely to be a Unionist and wanted to remain part of the United Kingdom. Not entirely, but you know, traditionally. And therefore... The, the insults and the attacks, you know, were a Catholic against Protestant, Protestant against Catholic, even in schools and, and things like that. It's just horrendous. So is Duffy criticising, is Duffy having a go at religion in this poem and the fact that religion has played its part in creating conflict, not resolving conflict, but creating conflict, there's, there's possibly an argument in there, but there is a religious theme running through this poem um, that, that there is the sense that religion has a part to play in these conflicts. Interestingly, again, in this poem, there's, there's no sense of names in this poem. So it's just faceless, personal pronouns. Um, he is a priest, a stranger's features, man's wife. There's the reader. There's, there's no clear identification of individual. There's that, there's that sense that they are representing all of humanity almost. So, so by, by making it faceless and nameless, this is about all of us. Um, all of us. And to a certain degree, whilst this poem is about a particular war photographer, it's also about all of us. We all sit and watch conflicts on the news. We all sit and watch the footage of a, the aftermath of a rocket attack in Syria. We all sit and watch a, a three-year-old refugee's body being washed up on the beaches in Greece a couple of years ago. We sit and watch these things uh, and we don't do anything fundamentally to stop it from happening again. You know, there's a little bit of outcry, there's a little bit of pressure at times, there's a few newspaper headlines, but do you know what? The next week another story comes along. Perhaps a member of the royal family has done something they shouldn't have done. Perhaps a politician has been uh, behaved badly. Perhaps another celebrity has had a divorce or there's another war starting somewhere else in the world. We're not able to maintain our attention and concentration and our focus and therefore these wars keep continuing. What's interesting is that while she mentions Beirut, Belfast and Phnom Penh, the, the, the horrific image in the second verse which is um, or which don't explode beneath the feet of running children in nightmare heat is the 
immortal photo taken, not by McCullen, by an American war photographer, I think, of the Vietnam, of the, in the Vietnam War, where you have this image of a young Vietnamese girl, um, prepubescent, so 10, 11, something like that, running naked towards the canvas, her body scarred and scorched and burnt from the American napalm attack that has just poured down fire onto their villages in the jungle. So she's kind of suggesting there that just war is constant by taking us back another generation. You know, that, that was 1960s, that's my parents' generation, that's another generation of war. You know, it's just this whole idea that war is just cyclical, it's constant. We have these horrific images from then. We have horrific images from the Second World War. We have horrific images from the First World War. But war is cyclical. It doesn't go away. Um, one more thing just to mention, really, is the, the verb twist. In line six, in line fourteen. So I talked about how that you know we're witnessing the the negative being developed in the in the in the trays and slowly but surely, kind of like a beginning to understand that that figure is that that black and white image is turning into a figure. But it's interesting that Duffy uses the verb twist because if we think a body about a body twisting, there were the positive connotations of gymnastics or sport or that kind of thing. But then the negative connotations, if we describe somebody's body's twisting, we might describe their body's twisting and writhing with pain or twisting in agony. So it's very interesting that Duffy chooses to use that phone, uh, that verb because she seems to be suggesting something about the, the pain, that the agony that this man was going through in his dying moments that have been recorded on camera. And perhaps also the pain and the agony that the war photographer is now going through looking at this image. So, final thoughts for now, and I say for now on this poem because I'll probably be doing something mundane and banal and then I'll think oh I should have mentioned that and I might come back and add to this but anyway enough about that the question was asked by somebody as to which which of these which poem does this poem sort of sit comfortably with which poem does this compare with now remember the theme of the, of the anthology the theme of the anthology is power and conflict I think this poem really really does sit beautifully with remains um, as, a, as a comparison. Not only because I think both characters are suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, I think you know they definitely are. Um, because you have the references to religion in both of the poems, you have the use of plosives to convey the anger and violence in these places probably aren't, possibly not, bursting through the bank doors, etc, etc. You have the sense that both of these uh, narrative voices, they're both male, they are, they're both haunted, bloodstained, shadowed, ghost, they're both haunted. 
You've got sibilance in both of the poems used to create a suggestion of evil. You've got this sense of namelessness, facelessness to the day, the they, he, they, etc., etc. So the sense that actually there's there's a universality to to the themes of these poems. It's not about individuals. It, this this it, this is much bigger than that. Um, why else? I, um, the numbness impassively. The sense that they are alone. The wolf photographer talks about being alone. Um, and you get the sense that actually the, um, the, the narrative voice from remains has tried to seek comfort and solace from others, but hasn't been able to do so. Um, and, and the use of caesuras to create the fracture uh, and the breaks and everything like that. So I, I, personally, I think it's a, a real bit of a no-brainer uh, to sort of kind of compare this poem to the poem remains, I think. Obviously, other poems do compare, but these two just seem to sit so beautifully together, uh, so comfortably together, that to, to do anything else is overcomplicating it, perhaps, just a little bit. If you did want to consider another poem to compare it to, I think the confessional voice in... Um, in this poem, but also, but also exposure works well. There were, there were clearly similarities between exposure as well. So you clearly have a sense of um, fractured, broken um, narrative voices in, in both the poems. You have the sibilance in both the poems. You have the plosis in both the poems. You have the sense of post-traumatic stress disorder in both the poems and things like that. Um, But exposure is is about a little bit more than all of that as well. Exposure is about just the loss of everything. There is no hope. There's such a bleakness in exposure that there isn't quite matched to the same degree in these two poems and that's not a criticism of these two poems I think these two poems are criticising society more than they're criticising war I think Owen is criticising war and this particular and the particular war he was fighting but not so much society I think Armitage is criticising and, and, and laying a charge against those people that send young men off to war without providing for them afterwards. And I think uh, Caroline Duffy is criticising society for not heeding the lessons that war photographers' images provide for us. So I, I think that they're just, their, their direction is just ever so slightly different. They're clearly, they're, they're clearly on the same page, but they're not, they're doing slightly different things. Um, so I think you can make a case for arguing that exposure um, would compare with this poem and I wouldn't disagree with you and I've seen excellent essays that have done that I just think the more comfortable the more natural comparison is with remains um, there ends my thoughts at the moment on 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 this poem um, if there are any other questions um, that people either post on the Google Classroom either, either in the next sort of before this actually goes up in the Google Classroom or subsequent to this podcast going up on the Google Classroom, I will 
endeavour to answer them and add more information to this podcast. But for now, that's it, and I hope it's been useful.